It's Thursday, March 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. New York has become the epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. It has 50% of the cases in the country and is facing severe shortages of critical medical supplies needed for patients and medical workers. New York is throwing everything it can against the wall in its fight against the virus, and some expect the peak of the epidemic to still be weeks away. Jennifer Kingson, managing editor at Axios, joins us for the fight for New York. Next, many people have lost their jobs or had their wages cut back as companies are slowing or shutting down due to coronavirus concerns. But right now, some of America's biggest employers are trying to hire hundreds of thousands of workers. Michael Corkery, reporter for The New York Times, joins us for why Walmart, Amazon, and pizza chains are all hiring. Finally, Congress is working to pass a $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus package to keep the economy moving while everything is shut down to help slow the spread of COVID-19. This will be the third emergency spending package Congress has advanced and the largest economic aid measure in U.S. history. It will include direct payments to Americans, help for small businesses, and help for hospitals and healthcare workers. Elena Treen, White House reporter at Axios, joins us for how the stimulus bill could help you. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What am I going to do with 400 ventilators when I need 30,000? You pick the 26,000 people who are going to die because you only sent 400 ventilators. Joining us now is Jennifer Kingson, managing editor at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Wanted to check in on New York amid this coronavirus pandemic that we're facing right now. It seems to be the epicenter right now in the United States. There's over 25,000 cases right now. I think they have 5% of the world's COVID-19 cases and about 50% of the cases here in the United States. Jennifer, tell us what is going on in New York, because I know they're facing a tough time and tough trouble coming, too. I think they said the peak of this is still 14 to 21 days away. New York State and the city in particular, where I live, are the hot spots for this pandemic in the United States. And the numbers are really staggering. They're astronomical, as our governor, Andrew Cuomo, said yesterday. Consider this. Today's update, we had 30,000 cases in the state, of which 5,000 are new since yesterday morning. The article I published today was based on yesterday's number of 25,000. Of the 850 deaths throughout the United States, 300 have been in New York State and 200 have been in New York City. The significant thing is that as goes New York, so goes the nation. We are, as Governor Cuomo put it, the canary in the coal mine for the United States. And the protections that we've put in here and our experience trying to solve this spiraling problem will be illustrative for other places in the country that it's just a matter of time are going to see these kinds of numbers and this epidemic sprouting next. While we're seeing it in various places, the wave that's hit New York is louder and bigger than any place else. And it's possible that just as we're coming out of it, other places in the country will be going through what we're experiencing right now. Before we get into some of the other numbers, I did want to talk about why New York has become this hotspot there. And a lot of it, it's pretty common sense. It is a destination city right there. I mean, it's like an international hub. And then the population density, there's just a lot of people cramped in close quarters. 
You're absolutely right, Oscar. There are two defining factors. One is that we're the most cosmopolitan place in the country, arguably, with not just a lot of foreign travelers coming and going, but large population of immigrants who are visiting family abroad, coming back, people coming through for conventions to New York. So that's one factor. We have a lot of people coming and going. Density. The New York Times called an, a front page headline yesterday called Density, a trait defining New York life. And it couldn't possibly be more true. I myself live on the 34th floor of an apartment building in Manhattan, and my building is so large that it has its own zip code. There's one zip code for my building. We have a grocery store in the building that's internal only for residents. This morning, I went out to the supermarket in my neighborhood, which is, I would estimate, about the size of, say, a 7-Eleven or something where you'd stop for gas along the highway. We are just crammed in small aisles to shop, work, go to school. It's just a place where everybody's accustomed to being together. One thing that's notable is our subway, known as the MTA. As of yesterday, when I checked, 23 workers were sick, and a lot of other workers were calling in sick saying they couldn't come. That combined with budget cuts has the already cheek-by-jowl nature of riding the New York subway just as bad as ever. When people are riding together with masks, it's a hotbed for contagion. Tell us some of what the hospitals are facing. I can only imagine, since I'm working from home and sheltering in place, how terrible it must be. And we all have to acknowledge what heroes our doctors, nurses, and other medical personnel are to be staffing these overcrowded hospitals and health facilities every day. As Governor Cuomo has repeatedly outstated, we have 53,000 hospital beds in New York State, and we need 140,000 for what is expected to be the peak of the outbreak in New York, which could become sometime between the next two and three weeks. It's really dire. There's a huge shortage of protective equipment and medical gear with ventilators being at the top of the list. The officials in New York State have been very outspoken in saying that they have used every method they can possibly think of to try to procure the equipment they need, the ventilators in particular, and they're experimenting with technology to see if ventilators can be used for two patients. They're using experimental drugs that were fast-tracked by the FDA. They're going to experiment with plasma from people who have developed antibodies for use in coronavirus patients. They're really pulling out all the stops here. And while this is New York coming together and doing what it can in its finest hour, this could be what things look like throughout America in the coming weeks and months. You said you've been sheltering at home. Just uh, some personal thoughts on what it's like there at this epicenter in this hotspot. How has the social distancing been working? Just give us some thoughts on that. I grew up here in Manhattan. I lived in the city for many decades, and I walked away from the ashes of 9-11 on that terrible day. I remember so well staying home. My office was closed. It was in lower Manhattan. And hearing the helicopters overhead going out into empty streets where everyone was frightened, it has a little bit of that feel, except that now when you see your neighbors or fellow New Yorkers on the street, instead of giving one another sympathetic looks or starting a conversation about everything that we're experiencing communally, we shy from one another. We walk away. We have to keep our distance. And that is difficult and painful and isolating as it is for people across the country as we weather this storm together. Jennifer Kingston, Managing Editor at Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. 
food and medicine companies like Walmart, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, they need more employees. There's some numbers out there showing that food demand in the past two weeks has gone up 30%, and there's just not enough people to sell it at Walmart or to truck it from the distribution centers. Joining us now is Michael Corkery, reporter at The New York Times. Thanks for joining us, Michael. My pleasure. We're getting word that you know a lot of people are losing jobs, seeing their wages curtailed this past week as a lot of companies are starting to shut down or cut back on operations due to coronavirus and all the social distancing that we're having to practice. But there are a lot of companies, some of America's biggest employers, in fact, that are trying to hire thousands and thousands of workers at this time when everybody's kind of going into a lockdown. Michael, tell us about this hiring spree that we're seeing. Right now, it's kind of a tale of two economies in that, like you mentioned, I mean, there's just so much economic dislocation among clothing stores, sporting goods stores, restaurants, things where theaters, places where government officials do not want crowds gathering. But on the other side of that, there's a whole list of booming businesses, grocery stores, pharmacies, warehouses, distribution centers. As people are stockpiling food and medicine, companies like Walmart, Amazon, Walgreens, CVS, they need more employees. There's some numbers out there showing that food demand in the past two weeks has gone up 30%, and there's just not enough people to sell it at Walmart or to truck it from the distribution centers. So there's a huge hiring push that's just happening you know, in the past couple of days, hundreds of thousands of temporary workers are being hired to keep up with this crush of demand. So I wanted to go through a couple of the numbers real quick. Walmart is hiring 150,000 workers. Amazon, 100,000 workers. CVS is looking for 50,000 workers, and they're giving people $500 bonuses for the people that have to work on site, people that have to interact with customers. Pizza deliveries, you mentioned the food aspect of this. Everybody's ordering in right now. Domino's and Pizza Hut are both hiring thousands and thousands of workers as well. There's lots of incentives. There's financial incentives to take these jobs in the way of bonuses, but they come with risk. These are jobs that need to be filled, certainly at the grocery stores and in the food delivery space, getting food to people that are especially at risk to their homes. But then again, one of the challenges will be finding enough workers who want to do these jobs, given that by doing them, they're putting themselves and their family at a little bit of a greater risk because they will inevitably have to interact with the public, which is something health officials are telling them not to do. How is the hiring process being sped up to meet this demand? It's pretty extraordinary. I mean, companies can be sticklers for background checks. Those are being suspended or delayed in some cases. I talked to folks at Pepsi, and they said that they're going to hire people conditional on them passing a drug test later, but they'll start them at work even before those drug test results come back because they just need, I think they're hiring about 9,000 people. They need them for their delivery and their distribution network. That's a never before kind of occurrence in corporate America. And it just speaks to the need and the need for more employees. And even some companies, GE Healthcare is shifting their manufacturing capacity to make critical health supplies. So even companies are even shifting what their normal production would be, and they still need more people, obviously, to help make some of these health supplies that we're in critical shortage of. There is kind of a shift going on. For example, 
public food service distributor. They're hiring workers who were supplying food to restaurants and to schools and to cruise ships. All of that is completely shut down for the most part. So they're trying to shift some of those workers who are already trained. They already know their way around a warehouse. They already know how to drive trucks and should push them over into the grocery side of the business. And then as things even out, when they even out and normalize, those workers can shift right back to where they had been working. So it's really interesting just to see how elastic maybe some of the nation's food and supply chain really is with employees. Michael Corkery, reporter at the New York Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for your time. These will be within the next three weeks, direct payments into most people's deposit accounts. And for those that don't have it, uh, we will be having the, the checks in the mail. Joining us now is Elena Treen, White House reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Elena. Yes, thanks for having me. Congress is working on this $2 trillion coronavirus stimulus package. It's one of these rare bipartisan agreements that is being pushed through. And also, people have been calling it the biggest bailout in history. This is something that's going to impact ordinary citizens, the country, businesses, both large and small, pretty quickly, too. So, Elena, tell us a little bit about the bill, and then let's talk about how it's going to help people individually. So, uh massive, massive rescue package, around $2 trillion. So beyond that of what Congress had delivered and the government had delivered following the 2008 financial crisis. And its impact is really a lot of money, billions towards small businesses, billions toward large corporations like airlines and hotels and industries that are being hit very hard by this direct payments to Americans to help them through these economic hard times as we face a recession, as my business editors tell me, ahead. And it really is just, you know, it's a ton of money. I've spoken with a lot of people on the Hill. And mind you, you know, this was originally a Republican bill. It's really interesting to me that they haven't really thought that much about how to pay for this or worried about the national debt or deficit here. The focus so far has been very much so on trying to get much needed aid into hospitals, into communities, and much needed money into Americans' hands. That's an important distinction. We really don't know 100% how we'll pay for all this. This is going to be added to the national debt. The debt limit is actually suspended until 2021. So right now, it's not really a big concern. I mean, it's, of course, Republicans' national debt. The deficit is always key on their minds. But from a lot of Republicans I've spoken with, they look at this as a much longer-term problem, and they look at the deal that they're dealing with now as something that's emergency. It's emergency funding, and they're worried about helping Americans, stimulating the economy, and keeping people afloat during this hard time. So let's get into some of the details that we know. There's going to be direct payments made to a lot of Americans. Most Americans will be receiving a one-time direct deposit of up to $1,200. Couples will get $2,400. And those will be phased out based on income levels. So if you make $75,000 a year or less, you will receive this full $1,200 payment that will phase out up until those who receive $99,000 annually. If you receive $99,000 annually or more, you will not get that direct payment. Families will receive an additional $500 per child. And this is true. One question I know that a lot of Axios readers have been getting is, what about those who receive Social Security or other means-tested benefit programs that that's your sole source of income? This does apply to those people. If you rely on Social Security, you rely on other benefits, you will still receive these direct payments. I've seen that over $300 billion are going to 
be sent to small businesses. What do we know about that? And then is this something that they have to apply for and all that? They're in loan guarantees. And so people who want to get a loan, there's $367 billion in loan guarantees for small businesses. And those are for these businesses that are keeping their workers on the payroll, even though they're still at home. And so they look at this as small businesses, companies, 500 employees or less, and they could get up to $10 million in forgivable almost business loans. And that is a very key thing there to say forgivable. So the way that they've structured this stimulus package is small businesses, well, these loans will be forgiven. Whereas for some of the larger corporations like the airline industries and others, they will have to pay these back over time. How about people that are unemployed, losing jobs because of this? Uh, I know that there's been a lot made about everybody just kind of cutting back. So they're having to start furlough workers, all sorts of stuff like that. What about unemployment? The program's extended unemployment insurance program, uh, Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader, has actually called it unemployment on steroids. It expands eligibility and offers workers an additional $600 per week on top of what they would already be getting from the state, and that will extend for four months. It also extends those benefits through December of 31st, through the end of this year, and for load workers can stay on as employees so that when this crisis ends, you can quickly go back to work. We've been talking a lot about hospitals and healthcare workers and the shortages that they face with masks and other protective equipment. We know ventilators are a big issue for the most severe cases of COVID-19. What does this bill do for them? So a big thing that a lot of Democrats had pushed for in these negotiations was to give more money direct to hospitals, provide more money to some of those supplies and resources that hospitals and communities across the country are in shortage of. So this will inject $100 billion into hospitals and the country's health system and provide billions in some of those resources, like PPE, as people call it, the personal protective equipment for healthcare workers, more money for testing supplies, more training and workforce development. And these are just a few things. I mean, if, if you go through the bill, you'll see there's a lot more in aid and defining exactly what different if you're, you know, if you're a nurse or you're a doctor, there's a lot more there for you. But these are the kind of broad scope of what they're giving to the health community. And what about the big industries, airlines, cruise lines? What about them? $500 billion is allotted in loans to these large corporations and $25 billion of that $500 billion is carved out directly for airlines. It's really $29 billion if you include cargo air carriers. So $25 billion will be giving to passenger air carriers. $4 billion is going for some of the cargo air carriers, and then $500 billion in total for some of these other industries, large corporations, hotels, cruise lines, all of that will be wrapped into this. And this is something that a lot of Democrats had criticized initially and said they had called it the Treasury's corporate slush fund. But they have succeeded in creating an oversight panel, including a Treasury inspector general that will oversee the dedications of these funds and these loans. And again, these loans, unlike those of small businesses and the loans that they're getting, will have to be paid back and they cannot exceed five years. Elena Train, White House reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And thanks for sticking with me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this 
was your daily dive 